I want to begin with a question. Some of you may have noticed this, and maybe you looked ahead and thought, oh, I know what's coming. I want to ask the question, where did this come from? There's a number of ways we can answer this. You could answer, you could, you could take a guess and say, well, maybe from the Sobeys down the street, 34th, where Grace works, you'd be right. It, it came from there. That's, that's one way to answer the question. Uh, you, could, you could answer it and say, well, it came from the back of a truck that, that brought it and a whole bunch of other loaves like it to the Sobeys, and that would be a correct answer as well. Uh, you could say, hey, I bet that came from the Sobeys Food Distribution Center in Calgary, Alberta, and you're likely right. Uh, we, we could say, hey, it came from one of Dempster's 12 Canadian bakeries uh, spread out across the country. Hopefully, it came from one that's close so they didn't have to transport it so far. Uh, we could say that this came, that this came from the, the prairies of Alberta because Dempster's uses Canadian wheat in making their white bread. We could say this came from a seed that was planted in the ground and grew into stock and sprouted wheat. And, and, and that would be a right answer, too. We could even say, hey, this came, this came out of the earth. It came from the rain and from the sun and, and those elements that caused that wheat to grow. All of those answers would be correct, but there's another way we could answer that. and We could say this loaf of bread came from the hand of God. This morning... We come to the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. This morning we want to explore that petition. We want to explore what Jesus is wanting to teach us about how to pray as those who are gospelized. We find the Lord's Prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of the Lord's Sermon. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is prefaced by the announcement of good news, the, the good news that in Christ's coming, a whole new order is breaking into the world. The future is spilling into the present. Heaven is invading earth. I have been contending throughout this series that, that when the good news takes hold in a person's heart, something happens. And that something that happens is described for us by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That something that happens is the creation of a new kind of humanity, gospelized humanity. Men and women, boys and girls, teenagers who, who have different characteristics, who have a different purpose, who have different behaviors, different ambitions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not giving us a new law a new set of rules. He's not giving us the old law cranked up on steroids. No, Jesus is painting for us a picture, a portrait of this new kind of humanity, gospelized human beings. Humanity brought into being by the power of the gospel. When the gospel takes root, when the Spirit of God is having his way in us. Over the, the most recent Sundays of our series, we have been walking through the Lord's Prayer that we find in the middle of the Lord's Sermon here. Jesus is teaching us as his disciples how we are to pray, how, what, what gospelized prayer looks like. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus provides us a model of how, how we are to relate to the one that he calls Father. And, 
And he teaches us, as he teaches us, one of the, the very first thing he teaches us is that we are to pray our Father. We, we come to God not as judge, but we are invited into that intimacy of his love and call him, like Jesus, our Father, to, to address him as our Father in heaven. That is, he is the one who is over all things. He is the one with all authority. And yet we are invited into that relationship of intimacy. The second thing we recognize is that Jesus teaches us that as, that as we come to the one that we are to call Father, that we are to direct our attention first to Him. The first three petitions, the first half of the prayer, we encounter the pronoun your, your name, your kingdom, your will. First, hallowed be your name. Father, manifest your goodness. Manifest your beauty. Manifest all that is true about you to the world all around us. Let all the world see who you are. Hallowed your name. Second, your kingdom come. Father, we know that you are king of kings and lord of lords, that you are over all things, that you reign even now, but we pray that we would see that more fully now already. Set things right. Reign without rival. And third, the last time we were here, thy, your will be done. Your agenda, Father, your plans, your desire, and, and recognizing that we can trust in God's goodness, that God's heart is to bless us, that God's heart is for human, human flourishing, that we would become all that we were created to be. And so we pray with confidence, your will be done. Now, this morning, as we move forward from the first half of the prayer into the second half, we encounter a shift to the last three petitions that are different, and I will highlight that in a moment. But let me first begin, as we have each week, just reciting the prayer. As Jesus taught them to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. This morning, as we turn our attention to and explore the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer, I want to ask three questions with you. First, how are we to see or understand this shift from the first half of the prayer to the second half of the prayer? How are we to understand that? Second question, what is Jesus teaching us through this fourth petition? And thirdly, what are the implications for our lives practically? What, what does it mean for us to pray this? How should it impact us if we pray this with integrity and honesty? So question one, how are we to understand the shift that we encounter here as we come to the second half of the prayer, the fourth petition? As I've noted, we've come to the halfway point in this prayer, and we do encounter a shift here. The first half, the pronouns, as I said, were your, your name, your kingdom, your will. The rest of the way, it shifts to our, uh, our daily bread, forgive us our debts, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, one thing uh, that I said a number of weeks back was that through the structure, Jesus is teaching us that in prayer, we begin with our eyes fixed on God. We rightly begin with his agenda, not ours. It's not that we don't pray for our needs Pray for those practical things. We do. We'll see that today. But as Daryl Johnson expresses so well, 
If we begin with God's agenda, our agendas are then put into proper perspective. And he goes on and says, indeed, the more we pray the first half of the prayer, the more we discover that our greatest needs are in fact being addressed. We discover that our real need is to see the Father's agenda fulfilled. Now, all that said, it is absolutely not true, as some conclude, that here Jesus shifts our focus from uh, weighty things, from what is important to mundane or ordinary things that really are not that significant. There are many throughout the years who have concluded that. You know, we're, we're praying for, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and, and then we pray for bread. And some have concluded that that's just that's that's too jarring. Like, and, and so they have reinterpreted bread to mean something other than bread, to spiritualize it and say, well, Jesus isn't really talking about real bread. He he must be talking about God's word, or or he must be talking about communion that we're going to celebrate later, or he must be talking about Jesus himself, who who does call himself the bread of life. But the reformer Martin Luther dismissed all that spiritualizing of daily bread here as just absurd. Uh, the The wrong headed tendency to spiritualize daily bread is at least partly due to our unbiblical. Uh, thinking about matter, about physical realm, the material world in which we live. That is, the church has often over the years, many Christians even today, deprecate the physical as somehow uh, bad or at least not important and elevate what is spiritual. We see this already impacting believers in the New Testament, but it really comes out of a, a Greek mindset. We, we see this in the city of Corinth when Paul writes to the Corinthians. They have received the Holy Spirit. Uh, they received the, the gifts of the Spirit. The one gift that they are particularly jazzed about is speaking in tongues. They think that is the cat's meow. They are so excited about that. And, so, and, and they denigrate other things. They think, hey, we want to focus on what's spiritual, and that's tongues. And that comes out in all kinds of unhealthy ways, in fact. It comes out in, in sexuality in the church, and Paul addresses that. One of the things we see going on in Corinth is because the physical realm's not important, in marriage, sex has stopped happening in many contexts, and men are just going to prostitutes, and they're all fine with this because they think, well, it's just physical. The body doesn't really matter. We're going to slough that off. It's all about the spiritual life. And Paul confronts them over and over and over again. We're not going to look at Corinthians now, but that, that's their, their issue because they, they think, hey, the spiritual stuff matters. The, the physical world doesn't. The body doesn't matter. And that thinking has crept into the church over and over and over again. But, but that is completely unbiblical. God created the material world. God created us as physical beings. And as he created us and the world, he said, it was good. It is good. It is good. It, see, when we have that mindset, we think of the spiritual life, the goal of our lives as Christians, ultimately as escaping from our physical bodies, that we are souls trapped in physical bodies. But that is simply not biblical. We are embodied souls. We are, we are whole beings, body and soul, body and spirit. Jesus was resurrected bodily. He, he met his disciples. Thomas stuck his hand in, in Jesus' nail, the holes in his hands and, and in his side. Jesus took a piece of fish and ate it. And it didn't just pass through holographic lips and fall to the floor. He, he ate it. 
He had a body. He, he chewed it and swallowed it. Jesus was resurrected bodily. And the Bible tells us that we too will be resurrected bodily. We're, we're coming back out of the grave. Bodies matter. The physical world is God's good creation. And Jesus' ministry demonstrates that over and over and over again. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus fed the hungry. God cares about the physical realm. And so he cares about our physical needs. So there is nothing unspiritual about praying for actual bread. We need to understand that. God cares for our physical needs. And we need bread. Daryl Johnson writes this, bread, we simply cannot make it without bread. Bread or rice is the fundamental staple of human existence. We can make it without coffee or chocolate. Honestly, we can. We can make it without television or a new wardrobe, but we cannot make it without bread. We cannot make it without bread. God has created us as beings who need bread. Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness when he was tempted, man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on bread alone. People need more than bread, but they need bread. They need bread. And so as we look at Jesus' ministry, we, we see so often Jesus gathered with others eating, Jesus at a table with others sharing a meal. Think of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, the one miracle that is in all four of the Gospels. Jesus often compared his kingdom to a banquet. There's nothing unspiritual about eating or about the reality of our physical needs. And so, though we witness a shift in the prayer, for sure, from your name, your kingdom, your will to our, beginning with our bread, it's not a shift from what matters to stuff that doesn't matter. Our needs are legitimate needs. God created us that way, and the physical, material world is God's good creation that matters. Second question, what are the things that Jesus is teaching us through this fourth petition in the prayer? Let's take a close look again. Jesus is teaching us, he's teaching the gospelized how we are to pray. And he says, uh, pray this way, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. One of the first things that we need to determine is what precisely Jesus means with the words daily bread. So, so does daily bread mean Bread. I just said it, it's, it's wrong for us to spiritualize it as just something else, communion or Jesus or the word, that, that it's bread. But, but what precisely is he saying? It, does it mean bread? And I want to say yes and no. Let me explain what I mean. Eugene Peterson helps us understand in his paraphrase of the New Testament where he writes in the message, he, he translates this fourth petition this way. He says, keep us alive with three square meals. So a prayer for bread is not a prayer only for bread. It, it's, it's a prayer for more than that. Some, some of you might be familiar with the literary term synecdoche. Uh, synecdoche. It, it's a literary device where uh, a part is substituted for a whole. So for example, you're familiar with this whether you know the word or not. If I were to say, hey, we need more hands on deck, you know that I'm not saying we just need a bunch of hands here. Right? We need people with hands. We need more help. We need more bodies. We need more people. If I said, hey, I want to show you my new, new wheels. They're out in the parking lot. And you walked out the door, and in a parking stall were just four wheels, you'd be pretty shocked. Because if I say, hey, come see my new wheels, you know that I'm saying, like, and the vehicle attached to it. 
So when Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread, yes, he's teaching us to pray for bread, but he's teaching us to pray for more than bread. Martin Luther said this. He said, daily bread means everything we need for our bodily well-being. He spoke of it as a symbol necessary, a symbol that pointed to everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. Robert Gulick, another New Testament scholar, says this is a request that God supply the basic necessities of life. So praying for daily bread is praying for bread. It's praying for all that we need to live as physical beings, as those that God has created uh, materially. Uh, so we're, we're taught to pray by Jesus, our Father, uh, give us today daily bread. Give us what we need to live today. A, a second thing we need to consider is the adjective, daily bread. I haven't looked at that yet. It is an exceptionally rare word, and there's some debate by scholars. Is it, is it really mean, does it mean bread for today or bread for tomorrow? The, the point is it means it, bread for the immediate future, the next 24 hours. God, give us what we need for this next immediate period of time. We're not praying for God to provide for the future. Give me bread for a month from now. Give me bread for a year from now. No, we we pray for bread here. Uh, This is what's certain. Uh, John Stott says, whichever is correct, it is a prayer for the immediate and not the distant future. Daryl Johnson says, the focus is on the next 24 hours of life. God, give us what we need now to live. If you think with me for a moment about our cultural context and the cultural context of Jesus' day, Jesus' day was largely agrarian. People grew their food. Many people were day laborers. They worked and they received money. They went to the market and bought bread and they ate and then they did it all over again the next day. I think if you are like me, some of you perhaps have grown up on farms or you know people, family members who who are on the farm, and radically different experience, I think. I've been in a city my whole life. Remember, a number of years ago, I went with our late brother Abe uh, out on a trip to Tofield, and he showed me his and Helen's old farm, and uh, through stories he told and other farmers, you hear these stories and you realize that for a farmer, that they are far more acutely aware of their dependence on things like weather, rain, sun. If I want bread, I can go to Sobeys. They want to grow wheat. They need right weather. They need it to warm up at the right time and not an early frost and not too much water at the wrong time and sunshine. Like, they're so dependent on things that are outside of their control that they realize in a way that so many of us do not recognize their utter dependence on God. In Jesus' culture, they didn't have a refrigeration. They didn't have bread with all the preservatives that I could read to you that are, I'm sure, on that loaf of bread. Sometimes it's shocking how long bread can last on my counter. I'm the only one that eats it now, right? And usually don't get through a loaf before there's things growing on it. But it takes a long time. But, but in that day, they didn't have refrigeration. They, they didn't have that kind of ability to preserve food. And it was, it was day by day. They, they worked, they got paid, they bought bread, they ate. And they did it again the next day. That's the culture into which Jesus is saying this. In our day, we, we just don't feel that as acutely. We think about, hey, let's buy groceries for the next week or the month. There in Jesus' day, one day at a time, Daily bread, bread for the next 24 hours, all that is needed to live this next period of time, Jesus. 
So, so Jesus is teaching us that as the gospelized, those in whom the gospel has taken root, that we should come to the Father and ask God the Father to provide for us what we need to sustain us in this life over the next 24 hours. Because all that is necessary for life comes from God. Remember years ago, uh, a tradesman uh, came to me and he he said to me, uh, he was struggling with this idea like, of, of thanking God or praying God for his provision, thanking God for his provision, because he said, you know, God's not going to work. I'm the one going to work. I'm the one working my butt off and bringing home a paycheck and putting the food on the table. And I sat down with him for a conversation and just tried to help him understand that, that everything is a gift. His ability to go to work his physical health, his ability to learn the knowledge that he knew as an electrician, all those things are a gift from God. Everything is a gift from God. It it all comes from God. The the truth is, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That is, all that you have, all that I have, all our abilities, everything comes from God. Paul asks the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? I used to, I probably shared this with you, uh, so forgive me if you've heard this and are bored of this illustration, but I, I used to have good eyes. I used to be able to see really, really well. Uh, it's changed now. Uh, my eyes kind of went off a cliff. But, but for years, I had really, really good vision. My wife does not. And so I would often tease her about that in various situations. You know, hey, dear, what's that sign say? And she's like, what sign? Like she couldn't, it was just so, I would tease her. Now the truth is that she takes things out of my hand at the grocery store to read the ingredients to me. So, but, but I remember when I teased her, at one point when I still had good eyes, I, I remember God just bringing to my attention, hey, like you did nothing to have good vision. I mean, I didn't even eat carrots growing up, right? My good vision at that time was pure gift, right? I I did nothing for that. Every good gift comes from above. All our food, our ability to work for it, our home, family, friends, health, everything is a gift from God. Dia Carson writes this, the scriptures teach that God himself is the ultimate source of every good, whether food, clothing, work, leisure, strength, intelligence, friendship, or whatever. Part of our problem is we often think deistically. Some of you may be familiar. Deism is the idea of God as a a cosmic watchmaker, that that God created the world. He kind of wound it up. He put it in motion. And now, sure, maybe God periodically makes an appearance and does something, but basically the world just kind of goes. And and so when we think of God that way, which is a profoundly unbiblical way to think, then we, we, we don't realize that God is intimately involved in every moment, every day of our lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we are absolutely in the hand of God and the supreme folly of this 20th century is the folly of thinking that because we have acquired a certain amount of knowledge of the laws of God, we are independent of him. We cannot live for a day without him. Nothing would continue were it not sustained and kept going by God. God sustains us every breath we take. Everything that we have comes from him. God is intimately involved in our lives And so Jesus teaches us to come to him and to pray, Father, give us our daily bread. Give us what we need for this day that is ahead. So third, what are the implications 
If we are going to be men and women, boys and girls, teenagers who come to God and pray this prayer as the gospelized, if we are going to pray this with integrity and honesty, what are the practical implications for our lives? And, and I'm leaning on Daryl Johnson at this point, but I want to highlight three. First is an understanding that we are radically dependent upon the Father, that, that we're called to live one day at a time and trust, to trust the Father to provide for what we need. That is, we don't need to worry about the future. We are not called to fret, and we're not called to hoard. We come to Him, and we ask for what we need for the next 24 hours. Now, it doesn't mean that there's nothing else about being prudent. We, we read other scriptures, but our, our mindset ought to be, Lord, I'm trusting you for this next 24 hours. And in our culture, it's so easy to say, well, I, I've, got, I've got savings in the bank, and I've got a freezer full of food, and I don't really need God to come through tomorrow because I already got it. But we are called to live lives of radical dependence where we come to him and ask for all the resources we need to live as his gospelized person that next day. Think of the Exodus story. God's people are delivered from slavery in Egypt. They are in the wilderness, and God feeds them. He provides for them manna. Day by day, they are to get up and gather manna for the day. Except on Fridays. Fridays, they gather for two days because there's no manna on Saturday. But God provides for them. And what happens if they take too much, if they hoard, if they worry about the next day other than Friday? They wake up to a basket of maggots. They, they had to trust God that God would provide the manna again the next day. And for 40 years he did. Every morning except for the Sabbath, there was manna for them to gather. And, and we read in Exodus, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who had gathered little did not have too little. God provided adequately, sufficiently. He provided for the needs of his people for 40 years in the wilderness. They ate manna, bread from heaven. Proverbs 30 we read this, it's interesting for us to reflect on this. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Jesus calls us he teaches us here. One of the implications of praying this prayer is living in radical dependence on God. To not worry about tomorrow, to not hoard for tomorrow, but, but to live trusting him to provide all that we need for each day. And we see that God is able. God is able to provide what is needed. We see that in the life of ministry of Jesus. And, and Jesus, in looking at Jesus, we see the Father. And Jesus provided over and over. Jesus uh, when his disciples were fishing and got skunked, he said, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And he provided more fish than they had ever caught before. Jesus, speaking to a multitude, asked his disciples, you know, how are we going to feed them? And, and they bring him a bag lunch from a little boy. And Jesus takes two fish and five buns and he feeds a multitude. And there's leftovers. Jesus goes to a wedding and they run out of wine. And Jesus provides wine. Jesus provides for the needs. He's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Daryl Johnson writes this, we think we will have peace of mind if we ask God to provide today what we need for the future. 
But to have provisions in hand today does not guarantee that we will have them tomorrow when we need them. Dallas Willard says this, today I have God and he has the provisions. Tomorrow it will be the same. I will have God and he will have the provisions. So I simply ask God today for what I need today. Don't you love that? I have God and God has the provisions. So I simply ask him to, to, to give me what I need today. That's what Jesus teaches us, a radical dependence on the Father. Second implication of this petition is a lifestyle of generosity and, and care. Notice that Jesus does not teach us to pray, give me my daily bread. Remember, this whole prayer is corporate, as community, our Father. But Jesus doesn't say that we, that we each pray, give me my bread, give us our daily bread. We pray this in community. We, we minister to the needs of others around us. Uh, think of the story of the early church. We read those early chapters of Acts, and I love it where we read that, that there was no one in need. It's not that there weren't poor among them. There were, but, but people who had means made sacrifices and all the needs were met. Barnabas was one of those wealthy people who sold a property and gave the money to the church so that the needs of the poor could be met. It's, it's, not, it's not about everyone necessarily having equal amounts of financial resources, other resources, but collectively there is enough for every need to be met. But that means we need to be caring for others, and that means we need to hold what we have very loosely and say, Lord, this isn't, this isn't mine, this is yours. And so if we are to pray this with integrity, give us our daily bread, we need to look around and go, okay, has God given me extra bread that I need to share? Malachi 3.10 is a, a text in Old Testament that is often, I think, misused in preaching about tithing. This, this idea of, hey, tithe, I'll, I'll read it to you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And people have taught this. People have read this and heard it and thought, ah, if I just give to God, he's going to give me more. And so we're not actually giving to God. We're giving to ourselves. We're, we're giving away, expecting that God's going to give us a bunch more. But that, that is wrongheaded. This word of the prophet to this, God's people is spoken corporately, that, that they collectively are to be faithful in what he's called them to do. And if they are faithful, he will bless them corporately so, again, the needs of all will be met. It's not some, hey, you do A and B and, and I'll give you C. We're to live generously. We're to pray this in community. One of the most powerful stories that I've heard is about, there's a family that I know, and years ago they adopted two little boys from Haiti. I think they were three or four or four and five at the time when they first came. They had lived in abject poverty in Haiti for years, their early years. And, and the dad told me that when they first arrived and he would give something to the older son, every time that son would take it and, and break it in two, to give a piece to his brother. And his dad had to say, look, I will give him some too. But it just, they, they lived in poverty and, and he, whatever he received, he, he shared with his little brother because he saw that he was hungry too. What does it look like if we, if we pray this with the integrity to say, give us our daily bread? 
Not give me my daily bread, but give us what we need for the day, Lord. This prayer means that we need to live generously, lives of care and open-handedness. Third, we, we need to live with gratitude. We need to be people whose hearts overflow with thanks. I love how Daryl Johnson, what he writes, he says, every time we take bread in our hands, we are handling an answered prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Every time we take bread into our hands, we're handing, handling an answered prayer. Every time you receive anything, anytime you, you have anything, it is a gift from God, and the appropriate response is one of gratitude. That, that when we say grace at a meal, we, we thank God for his provision of that, for the ability to go to work and earn a paycheck. We, we thank him for the table that we're gathered around. We thank you for family and friends. We, we thank you for health. We thank him for the, the new day. All that his many blessings that we so often fail to see, we need to see. We need to be people whose hearts overflow with gratitude because all our needs All that we have, all that we receive is received as a gift from our Heavenly Father who loves us. There's one more thing that I want to speak to. Jesus teaches us to pray for bread, real bread, to pray for our our daily needs, what we need for life in this world in the next 24 hours. And, And we need to hold on to that. We, we need to not read this and simply spiritualize it, but we would, we would be missing something significant if we stopped at mere bread because we know that, that our greatest need is not, is not a loaf of bread. Our greatest need is, is the bread of life. Our greatest need is Jesus. Jesus, numerous times, uh, speaks of himself as the one that we truly need in, in different ways. And in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. I, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. A little later, he says, I, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Our greatest need is, is the nourishment that comes only through a relationship with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, I, I want you to hear this, that Jesus comes and he is what we truly need for the next 24 hours every day. We need living bread. We need his death in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin, for our rebellion, for our wickedness, for our brokenness, for all the wrong that we do. Jesus died and he paid the penalty. He bore the the consequence, the wrath of God for our sin. Out of love for us, out of the Father's love, God the Father sent Christ to do that. And when we trust in him, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are purified, we are made new, and we are clothed with his perfection. So your standing with the Father is not contingent upon your performance for him, but upon Christ's performance for you, the living bread, the bread of life. And so if you've never repented and believed, I urge you to do that today. And brothers and sisters, those of you who have, let this be a reminder to all of us that, that we need 
the living bread daily, that we need to walk closely with Jesus. We need to rejoice in every day his death for us, rejoice in the cross and what he accomplished, rejoice in, in his gift of his righteousness, rejoice in the gift of life that is ours through him alone, that we would be nourished on the truth of the gospel daily, that we would let it saturate our lives and that we would live lives of radical dependence on him, knowing that we need his grace daily, that, that we would live as those who are generous, proclaiming the glory of Christ's grace to those around us, that we would be men and women, young and old, who live lives of gratitude, praising him, thanking him for that gift of life. This loaf of bread comes from the hands of our Heavenly Father. Jesus is teaching us to pray. He's teaching us that as we pray, we, we need to open our eyes to see what is true. That his Father, that, that our Father is our provider. That, that everything that we need today, that he will provide. That everything that we need only and always comes from him. As those in whom the gospel has taken root, as we learn to pray, we need to learn to look to him here and pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Amen.